We are in part two of our wake up series to the book of Isaiah and I entitled this message wake up to a different kind of life. As we begin this and we launch continually into this Isaiah series, I want to affirm my love for you. The reason why I say that, and I want to be very clear that I love this church. I am incredibly proud of this church. I believe that so many of us are soft in the hands of God and we are transforming. I'm so encouraged by the amount of variety of people that are coming to hear God's word and how we can have full rooms of over a thousand people at a shot to be able to say, I want to hear God's word. I want to grow. All these things are encouraging to me. I believe that you are, so many of you are so intensely generous. Um, I, I want to affirm that because one of my jobs as a pastor is to convey the word of God as it was originally intended. The book of Isaiah is written during one of the most brutal times of spiritual depravity in Israel. What that means is, is that it's pretty vicious. It's a ferocity. It is intensity. So when you hear me go in and speak and talk through this book, you're going to go, man, Lance always seems angry at me. Uh, I am to convey it directly as if it was given to Israel. We then examine it in context and then we apply it to us. So I'm going to go back and forth and what's going to be a little bit difficult for some of us is going, so is he saying that to me or is he saying that to Israel? What, what is, what's Pastor Lance saying here? I understand it's a little hard to track with. Uh, just do your best. I just want you to know I'm not angry with you. Uh, I am, I'm ex excited. I'm honored to be your pastor and I love this. However, I will be honest with you at all times. And that is, there are some things that need to change rather dramatically in our congregation, in our lives, in our region and in our nation. So I'd like to begin today with talking about the way that I see things, the state of our nation, our region, our church and ourselves. And I want to talk about what's wrong with us in how we live. As a nation, we are greedy. We are suffering from a recession caused directly by greed. You can read all the financial magazines in the world to talk about why the recession blew up. And almost all of them will turn back to greed in the housing market, greed of people wanting more and more, and then people wanting to line their pockets and giving false promises, and ultimately it exploded the bubble of greed that we already had in the nation. What this means is that some of us have lost our retirement because of greed. Some of us have lost uh, our homes because of the greed of our nation. Some of us have lost some hope because of greed. We as a nation are greedy people. Would you agree with me? Yes. We as a nation are led by the world standards and the influence that they give upon us. We have let our culture fall into the hands of Satan that he may hurt our people and we step back letting him torture our neighbors. We are no longer running this nation from Christian mindsets. Would you agree with me? As a nation, we are corrupt. 
We are not interested in what is right. We are interested in getting elected. We are not interested in righteousness. We are interested in fame and fortune. Would you agree with me? As a region in the greater Sacramento region, because we are not just Placer County, we are the greater Sacramento region. I speak of areas like Loomis, Rockland, Lincoln, Roseville, Folsom, Cameron Park, El Dorado Hills, these types of areas, as well as Sacramento proper. As a region, we are sexually demonic. The reason why I say that is because we, especially here in this area, are the capital of sex trafficking in California. In this area, in our backyards, women are put in cages. In our area, women are locked into rooms, put on camera, and they cannot get out until they perform. We are sexually demonic in this region, and it's happening on our watch. Unacceptable. In our region, we are materialistic. We are obsessed with the best gadgets, wasting our money on what will be replaced with a better model tomorrow. We are addicted to the mall, merely that we might look better than our neighbor. Have I overestimated our region? As a church, we are selfish. With our time and our resources, though many of us are incredibly generous when it comes to our day-to-day, it's all about us. We define our schedules. We rule our checkbooks. We determine the value system that we operate under. Would you agree? We are apathetic. We are only mildly interested in discipleship insofar that it doesn't get into our way of life. We are asleep at the wheel as our culture goes to hell. We do not notice nor care. As a church, we are relatively powerless. There is little evidence of God's power in our lives to either combat sin or rescue those around us. Would you agree? As individuals, we are godless Christian atheists. We say we know God. We know the information about God. But practically, we live every day as if God didn't exist. As a people, individually, we are ruled by our culture. We look the same as the world. We do what they do. We love what they love. As a people, we do not pray. We do not seek God. We are too busy building our own lives or wasting our time. As a people, we are too busy. God can't get a word in edgewise, even if he tried. Have I overstated the account? No. Therefore, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is true. It is this. How we are living is not sufficient. How we are living is not sufficient. And I would suggest to you that the situation in Israel is very similar to the situation in our nation. Though we may not be guilty of all the things that I'm about to bring charge against through Isaiah, we are guilty of many. And even though we sometimes may have extraordinary periods where we are leaping forward in desiring to be like Jesus, we have an awful lot of time that we take off and have little to no interest at all. I am not here to speak down to you. I'm here to say we are in this together. When I preach against something, I'm largely preaching to myself. I'm telling you that 
all of us have some things we need to change. And we don't just need to change it so that we might get more stuff. We need to change it because it's right. We need to change it because God is not all right with the way that we are living. He is not okay with where we have compromised. He is not all right with how we have said, ah, it doesn't really matter. It matters an awful lot. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1? Page 566 in the Bible's under the seat in front of you. 566. If you could, uh, Gary, if you could throw up the uh, map here, I want to point out a couple things as we are talking. As I shared with you before, we're going to be doing a little bit of a quick history lesson um, so we know what's going to happen in this book. There's a few things I just want to pay attention to. One of them is just know this. This is the Mediterranean Sea, right? This is over in the Middle East. So the main areas are this is the Israel area. Remember, the north split from the south. The north was known as Israel. The south was known as Judah. In addition, Syria was up north, still is. The the capital of it was Damascus. And, of course, Egypt is down here. The main thing that we want to pay attention to is that through the life of Isaiah, this nation right here was growing. After relatively a 100 years of somewhat peace, Judah had grown very cocky, arrogant, and wealthy, yet this nation began to rise. The Assyrian nation, with Nineveh as its capital, began to come down and through Isaiah's day rain down a firestorm of destruction, wiped out Syria, eventually, in 722 BC, destroyed the north, and then laid waste to the south that only Jerusalem lasted and only that because one king decided to trust in god and god fought their battles for them unfortunately as i shared with you last time that only lasted about a hundred years and then because the south of judah was disobedient to god a new nation arose the nation of babylon babylon rose up and they came in and finished the job and israel was for all practical purposes, wiped off the face of the earth with only a remnant to remain. This is what Isaiah saw. So we read the first two verses to get an idea, and then I'm going to teach through it line by line. Now, I'm not normally going to be able to do that through this series because of how long the book is. So I will be highlighting and doing it a little bit different, but today we're going to go verse by verse, and you're going to see why we're not going to be able to do that all the time. It's an awfully long chapter, and we're going to be doing multiple chapters at a time. So let's read the first two verses and pray for the word. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Yahweh has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning as we engage with your word, I pray that you would not only anoint and empower me to deliver the message appropriately, but Father, you would prepare our hearts to hear and to listen. Help us to sort out and discern what was meant for Israel and what is meant for us here in this church and in this nation. Reveal to us, Lord, what parts 
are personal to us and what parts, Lord, you can say, I'm proud of you, good and faithful servant. That is not something that you're wrestling with. Lord, do not allow us to be discouraged, but allow us to be challenged in heart. Allow us to be convicted in our spirit that we might bring about necessary change. God, be glorified in this place for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 1 is really a snapshot. I don't know whether or not... God revealed it this way by giving him one big shot and then went through and explained how it was going to go in his lifetime or whether or not Isaiah wrote chapter one at the end of his life saying after everything that I've looked at this was the heart of what God told me. I don't know how it was delivered to him. I know how it's delivered to us and that's that pretty much 66 books are crushed into one. And right here in chapter 1, you see an overview of all those different periods in history. Times when Israel was devastated. Times when Judah was devastated. Times when God promised restoration. You're going to see all that in chapter 1. So let's go through it very quickly. It says, the vision of Isaiah. What is a vision? A vision is anything in the Bible that speaks of a download from God. It's not always visual, but originally prophets were known as seers. And so if you see something, it is a vision. That's where the idea came from. Mostly in the Bible, it tended to be symbolic visuals. Sometimes it was only auditory, but a lot of times it was a visual similar to John the Revelator. He would see things and didn't quite understand them all because God was delivering to him messages via symbols. Then he would kind of have to put it together afterwards. Isaiah is not nearly as difficult to understand as Revelation. However, it is still symbolic in nature. So we're going to read a lot of that. So it says, the vision of Isaiah. I found something intriguing in my studies, which was, I love the idea that the name, the personal name of God, Yahweh, is in his name. I think I shared that last week about how Isaiah is Yahweh is salvation, the reverse form of what? Jesus, Yeshua, salvation is from Yahweh. But what I didn't know was that all names in the Bible that end in J-A-H or I-A-H are actually, in their definition, using the personal name of God. They all involve the name Yahweh, which means Elijah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Isaiah, Joshua, Elisha, Hosea, and Yeshua. So all those, if you ever look at the meaning of their name, it has the personal name of God within it. It says that he was the son of Amos, and we talked about the fact that he had access, Isaiah did, to the royal court to talk to kings, to be able to tell them things, to try to lean with influence. Some rejected him, some accepted him, but he actually had a very difficult existence. His ministry was somewhere around 58 years long. It was an incredibly long prophetic ministry. And he served in the south. He will refer to the north. He will refer to outside nations. But in general, he talks about the condition of Judah and Jerusalem under the kings of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So we pick it up in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Yahweh has spoken. This is a setup of a court. 
He's saying, heavens and earth, I want you to come here for a moment. We are going to assemble a courtroom scenario. I will put Israel, Judah, on trial. I invite you to come and watch and watch her be embarrassed. Because she has rebelled against me. And I will bring about charges. I want you to watch and know that this is right. I want you to learn from her mistakes. You don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. Learn from others. So heavens and earth get ready because I'm about to be the prosecutor of my children. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. That phrase rebelled is the phrase used for breaking a treaty. I made a contract, a covenant with Israel. There was a very clear agreement. I said that I would bless you if you walked with me. I would rain down judgment if you did not. I've been very clear about that and you have walked away from me. I do not want you ever asking why is this happening to me. I'll tell you exactly why it's happening to you. We had an agreement. It was a blessing and curse concept. It was the old covenant. You knew how it was going to work and yet you did not take it seriously. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What do you know about a donkey? What are they known for? Being stubborn. An ox basically is just stupid. Not offense to oxen, if they're listening to the podcast, right? All I'm saying is that in general, they're known for being stupid. So you have stupid and stubborn. And you go, out of stupid and stubborn, at least they're smart enough to know that you maintain relationship with a master if you want to get fed and you go home at night. Meaning no matter how stupid the animals are, they know more than we do. We still cut off relationship with our God and assume that his blessing will still flow. We distance ourselves from God and assume everything should be just fine. We rebel against him and assume there's no consequences. How stupid and stubborn is that? Even the animals know better than that. It's embarrassing. He said, ah, with a pain and a frustration, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity. You are full of sin, Israel. You are full of sin, Judah. You are offspring of evildoers. This is not just you. You are children of sinners. This is generational. It's not like I suddenly just got ticked off one day. It's that it has been people group after people group after people group, family after family after family, shoving me away. And I'm supposed to remain silent. That will not happen. Children who deal corruptly. You're using each other, and that's not acceptable. You use each other for sexual gratification. You use each other to line your pockets. You use each other to make yourselves feel better, and I'm not all right with that. Stop dealing corruptly. Stop taking advantage. They have forsaken the Lord. You walked away from me. You ignored me. You rebelled against me. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah uses that phrase, Holy One of Israel, 25 times. You have despised, considered useless God. Would you say and agree with me that our region and our nation has considered God useless? Would you agree with that? Yes, I don't think that's a stretch. I think it's very clear. They have found that it is not worth their time, worth their effort to pursue God. They don't think he matters but how dare we 
to our God, our creator, say you don't matter. You are worthless to me. He said, they are utterly estranged. There is no relationship with me. Even though the majority of our nation calls themselves Christian by tradition, would you agree with me that the majority of our nation is cut off from God? Why will you continue to be struck down? Why do you continue to get beat up and make no changes? Why do you allow so much poor decision-making into your life that you're ruining yourself. You're getting pummeled. You're getting pummeled not only by your decisions, you're getting pummeled by me. I'm bringing down discipline upon you and it doesn't seem to change you. No matter what I rain down, you're still hell-bent on doing your own things. How much is it going to take? Why will you continue to rebel? What is your motivation? What is the benefit of walking away from me? What are you gaining by shoving me away and rejecting me? What do you get that you so desperately want? Do you want freedom? Freedom to what? Sit by yourself and die? Why do you push me away? You so badly rebel and launch and shove away but for what what are you getting that is so valuable i guess you just want independence but why are you doing so well with yourself are things going so well for you the whole head is sick the whole heart is faint you are internally damaged you're wasting away from the inside out From the sole of your foot, even to your head, there's no soundness in it. You are askew. You are broken as a nation. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, you have been beaten to within an inch of your life. But your wounds are not pressed out. They are not bound up. They are not softened with oil. It's not getting better. Your wounds are open and all they're doing is inviting infection. Your condition is worsening. Nobody's coming to your rescue. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. This is a fast forward to 722 BC when the Assyrian nation took out the north. They desolated them. In your very presence are foreigners devouring your land, the Assyrian people. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners and the daughter of Zion, Jerusalem, because cities were named with feminine terms. They were thought in terms of being women and the daughter of Zion, Jerusalem, is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. And indeed they were in 701 BC when the Assyrians came down and wiped everything out. They left only Jerusalem, one little tiny city. Everything else around them was wiped out. And if it wasn't for God, they would have been wiped out as well. And they were left standing like a little tiny hut in the middle of a vineyard field that was impossible to protect, impossible to defend against such a mighty, violent enemy. If the Lord of hosts... And that's an incredible term. Isaiah is going to use it 60 times of God. You know what that phrase means? It means he's a warrior God. If the Lord of hosts, 
if the God of the heavenly armies, and I want you to soak in that. If you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline every time you see that, because here's what it means. It means that your God is bigger than your problems, is bigger than your enemies, and some of us need to remember that. If the Lord of hosts, if our warrior God had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What does that mean? Utterly devastated. Anybody know anybody whose family is from Gomorrah? Any of you got that lineage? You do your little ancestor family tree thing? Oh, look, we're all from Sodom. No, of course not. Why? They're utterly wiped off the face of the earth. They're decimated. They no longer exist. There is no remnants. Why? Judgment. Shut them down. But Israel has a remnant. They do exist. Why? Well, let's talk about it practically. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will, regardless of what you do, I will make you into a people group. I will bring through you one that will reign on the throne forever, which means they are an eternal or long lasting or until this age passes away a forever people group so how then do you practically discipline or judge a people group that is turned almost completely wicked against you while maintaining a promise god does it this way he wipes out everybody but a small remnant but that remnant will always last when the Nazis in World War II dared to try to decimate the Jewish people, God only let them go so far. And he held a remnant. There will always be a remnant. And I would suggest to you that it's the same with God's church. If indeed we end up allowing our culture to completely consume the churches in this area, there will be a remnant of true believers that are the church. We will not be shut down. So many of us, just to make it practical, ask the question, God, why is all this happening to me? It is possible that you're being beat up from the outside and it has nothing to do with you, but I would not encourage you to think that first. Here's my concerns. Two of the greatest problems that we suffer from today are entitlement and blame. Entitlement means that we think that we deserve better and that we deserve good things. So if things don't go our way, we blame somebody else. So much of our own suffering and drama, unfortunately, rises from our own immaturity and our own wickedness. It is possible that an outside force has crushed you. It is more likely, and you should ask the first question, what have I done? What decisions and choices have I made that have left me where I'm at? Don't immediately blame. Don't immediately assume it's everyone else because it's likely you. Now, there are, of course, things that you have no control over. Things such as cancer coming upon you. This is not a, it's not a penalty for your sin. We live in a broken world. Our bodies break down. That's not your fault. And yes, there are things that happen in our world that are outside of our control. But what about all the drama we have allowed? What about the choices we have done? Our first choice should be to look within. Then, once that is examined and cleaned, we look outward. Make sense? Verse 10. 
Hear the word of the Lord. That means pay attention, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Boy, what an insult. Israel knew Sodom and Gomorrah as the epitome of selfishness. Sodom and Gomorrah were the epitome of wickedness. And they would always look with kind of disdain and say, those are the worst of the worst. And God said, yeah, it's really intriguing that you say that because when I look at their leadership and I look at yours, Israel, I don't really see a lot of difference. And when I look at their people and what they are involved in and what you're involved in, I'm sorry, I'm just not seeing it. What a horrible thing to hear. But was it true? Yes, it was. What, is, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? What do you think you gain by coming to temple and bringing me stuff? Well, you want my blessing. You want more stuff from me. Is that what I hear? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. I don't want your dead animals. How have you made it like this? Well, God, you asked me to. No, I set up a system by which you would understand the gravity of your sin, meaning sin equals death, and then set up a system whereby you could outwardly demonstrate your obedience to me. You've taken all of that, pulled your heart out of it, and now you use it as a way to try to pacify me while you live selfishly. That is not going to work. All you do is bring in truckloads of God, I'm giving you this. God, I'm giving you this. God, I'm giving you this. I'll give you everything but my heart. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your dead animals. I'm not hanging them on the wall. I'm not doing anything with them. I'm not stuffing them. I don't want your dead animals. I want your heart. And when you pull your heart out of it, it makes the whole thing sickening to me. I don't want more of that. When you come to appear before me in temple, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Who's the one that asked you to come in and screw up how I'm worshipped? Who's the one that told you that it was acceptable for you to walk into my presence on your own terms? Who has told you that you are allowed to desecrate my sanctuary? Bring no more vain offerings. That is empty, false, deceptive. Bring no more garbage. Incense used as an offering as an abomination to me when it's done with this kind of heart. Your new moons, your monthly festivals, your Sabbath, your weekly festivals, the calling of special events. I cannot endure sin and your attempts to play church together. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, whether it's Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles, my soul hates because of how you're doing it. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. I can't handle bad church. I don't want it anymore. You keep coming in and saying, God, I want to live like any, I want to live like I want to live. I want to live like the enemy. I want to join hands with him. But on Sundays, on Saturdays, I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring you a bunch of stuff. And I want to be able to rub the genie lamp. I want you to pop out and I want you to help me. 
Oh, God, help me to have success with this. Oh, God, rubber stamp this. Oh, God, give me all that I need. Oh, God, help me pay my bills. God, give me a new home. God, give me a new car. God, give me a new relationship. You know what? All you do is live like you want to live, and you come and want stuff from me? You're out there hurting each other, and I'm supposed to reward you? What, you want more stuff so you can line your own pockets and take advantage of one another? I will not do it. And just because you think you come to church and that makes you feel better, that doesn't cut it. Wow. When you spread out your hands in prayer, worship, asking for help, I don't care. When you spread out your hands, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. I'm not even going to look at you. Even though you make many prayers, I'm not listening to you. Your hands are full of blood. Bogus sacrifice, the blood of the innocent. I'm not going to encourage that. Well, God, what are we supposed to do? I'll tell you exactly. Verse 16. Wash yourselves. You know what that means? It means there's something you can do about it. Do it right now. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. We're not talking about salvation here. We know that the only one that can truly cleanse us from the inside is Jesus Christ's blood. What he's talking about is the sanctification process where you are making efforts to get rid of the old you and put on the new you. Get rid of the garbage and bad stuff in your life. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Stop doing evil learn to say no control yourself stop it oh god i'm i'm lost in this addiction i'm lost in that stop it quit saying everything is too big for you it's too hard for you no it's not especially not for us here as a church of believers that we have the holy spirit we have the freedom of christ we have been set free seriously with all that power we can't muster up putting away something Why is it so hard for us? It's hard because we just don't take it seriously. We just don't want to let it go. And that's offensive. Learn to do good. Establish new patterns of what is right. Learn to do good. I get it. You're trying to create new habits. That's hard. Learn it. Seek justice. Do right, make things right for other people. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Step in for those who can't help themselves. I mean, you'll notice that many people have this mandate that rose up in their heart. For example, here in this region, the idea that young women would be hurt eventually said, in some people's hearts, I'm not going to stand for that, not in my backyard. And Mercy Ministries rose up. And then courage to be you rose up. And they said, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to give those women a place to be safe, a place to be rescued. And then uh, Pastor Russ, just yesterday, IJM. How many people, Russ? 140? IJM, International Justice Mission, just announced that they had their largest rescue to date that they rescued people that are in modern-day slavery at a brick factory, and they rescued 140 people and, and through the court system of hours and days and years of boring paperwork, finally set them free, and there was a picture of all of them holding up their certificate of freedom. 
Because they said, not on my watch. This area has sex trafficking because we allow it. And there's a few that have said, I'm not going to allow it. Not anymore. Jenny Williams, those folks. Don Brewster, those folks. Agape International said, in this area of the world, I will stand in the gap. Come now, let us reason together, God said to Israel. Seriously, we're going to take a look at this. I'm not going to compromise with you. It's not reason together like you give a little, I give a little. No, you give everything. I'm God. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You know this phrase. This is famous. It's in Isaiah. They would use this little worm and it would create this dye, this red dye, and it would create this red cloth. He said, you know what red, you know how deep staining it is. Do you understand? You are wicked. But do you understand that your wickedness is no match for my purification? Do you understand that your depravity cannot dare to fight against my righteousness? I don't care how bleak your spirit is. I don't care how dark your heart is. I don't care how evil your spirit has become. I can rescue you. I can set you free. I can rescue you because I am a deliverer. And as much as you think that you have gone too far, what I'm telling you is turn around right now. I'll get you home. Right here in the midst of judgment. He lavishes grace and mercy and flows it out and says, listen to me, I can rescue. Walk with me. I can do this. It is not hard for me to turn your life around, but stop getting in the way. Make a decision, repent, turn around, go my direction. Because I am more than able. If you are willing and obedient, I'll be very honest with you, he said under the old covenant. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. I love God's honesty. He told them, I'm setting up a covenant. Obey me goes awesome. Disobey me goes terrible. It's not hard to get your mind wrapped around. Now, this is where we need to take a step back. We are in... The new covenant. We need to calculate the difference of the crosses made. Here's why we are no longer under that old covenant. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came through and fulfilled what Israel could not do. He then went to the cross and died for our sins. We are now showered and live under a grace covenant. And so, therefore, it is no longer a blessing and curse concept. It is now a children concept. It is now a family concept. It is moved from judgment to discipline. Those are different things. Judgment is to destroy as a penalty. Discipline is to restore and to train. God's standards have not lowered. But his shielding has given us time to change. His spirit has given us power to change. And his love has given us motivation to change. But that doesn't mean he doesn't think there's still serious offenses. 
Verse 21. How the unfaithful city of Jerusalem has become a whore. Well, that's pretty clear. (laughs) Not super subtle there. He's like, no, no, no. I arrayed you. I, I dressed you like a beautiful bride. I was your knight in shining armor. What's intriguing about that is now I can't even find you because you're all over the city with everyone else. And you do it so that you can gain. You're cheating on me for money. I call that prostitution. She who was once full of justice under King David and King Solomon. Righteousness used to live in her, but now murderers. How far we have fallen. We used to be so good. We used to be so what I desired you to be. And now you're not. Now you're murderers. And you're going, well, were they really murderers? Or Listen, through Isaiah's life, there were kings that were awesome, kings that were mediocre, and kings that were just dismal. As a matter of fact, he died and was killed and was martyred underneath one of the worst kings of all of the south. That king brought in pagan worship, did horrible things, had people murdered. Yes, there was direct violence. There were active murderers. But he's also referring to all the passive murderers. You go, what's a passive murderer? It's us. Here's why. Uh, Does anybody remember when the whole Nike sweatshop thing blew up in the news? Was that late 90s? What was that? Anybody remember the dates on that one? Uh, I would assume it was late 90s. I remember our nation was shocked and abhorred that uh, our tennis shoes were being made in a sweat factory by little kids that were overworked and they were trapped in the thing and some of them were dying and we were like, oh my gosh, that's the worst travesty I've ever heard. Do you think Nike's products went down and that they're now out of business? No, as long as we got our shoes, whatever. That's called passive murder. As long as we get our stuff, I don't really want to look at it, but if you're going to go ahead and do things far away from me, and you're going to go ahead and people are going to get slaughtered, as long as I get my gear, I'm all right. That's passive murder. Is that happening in our world? Yeah. Is it happening in our region? Yes. Are we doing it? Yes. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. When you purify silver, impurities rise to the top. That's called dross. You scoop that out and throw it in the garbage. He said, all that used to shine in you is now just junk. Your best wine is now diluted. Why? Because it's been compromised. I think that's true for us. Your princes, your leadership are rebels. They operate off a different agenda than me. They are companions of thieves. They're friends with the world, friends with corruption. And everyone, corporately in leadership, loves a bribe. They run after gifts. They don't bring justice to the fatherless. And the widow's cause does not come from them. They are not doing what they were put into play to do. We are not standing up. When I put Adam and Eve in the garden, God said they were to steward that place and make it my home. When I put Israel into the Middle East, they were to be salt and light and make it my home. When I put Bridgeway into this region of Placer County in the greater Sacramento region, they were to make it my home. You're failing in your stewardship. You don't actively care to make changes into your community, he would say. How do you think I feel as the leader of that? 
You think that's not a slam against me? You think I don't apply this to me? That under my watch, I've not motivated and utilized thousands of people to make a difference in our community more than we have already. Now, I take that. That's for me. Therefore, the Lord declares the Lord of hosts, the warrior God, verse 24, the mighty one of Israel. I will get relief from my enemies and I will avenge myself on my foes. And you look and you go, man, does that, does that mean you're just going to kill everybody? Well, look at the next verse, 25. I will turn my hand against you and I will smelt away your dross as would lie. That's a strong chemical that exposes pure metal and rises the impurities. I will remove all your alloy, all that's bogus about you. And I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors at the beginning. And afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. Here's what he just said. In all my ferocity as a warrior God, I will purify my people. I will make them right. I will change them. I will bring about the furnace of transformation. It will be a brutal process. But my people will be right. Why is he doing all this? Because he's going to make it right. So let's make it practical for us. The Bible says that you can either fall on the rock or you can have the rock fall on you. We got some decisions to make. Are you going to fall on Jesus and be broken? Are you going to willingly surrender? Or are you going to be stubborn and resistant and Jesus Christ is going to lay the hammer down on you? That's your choice. What are we going to do? I would suggest that we surrender willingly and say, God, I want to be part of the restoration. I want to be part of the remnant. I want to be part of the solution. I don't want you to have to sift me out. As we've been talking about this revival coming to the area, when we dream about what God would do here, you have to understand there is a nervousness in my spirit that I'm going to be sifted out because I'm getting in the way. I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to be sifted out. I want to be right at the core. I want to be right at the heartbeat of what is going on. But what if I just am too busy screwing around? What if I don't have my head in the game? What if I don't want... God said, you know what? If I'm going to involve Bridgeway in this, I will purify you. I will purify your people. Because they will be a part of it. Now, whether or not you're going to be a part of that, I don't know. I don't know, Lance, are you going to lead well? Are you going to keep your head in the game? Are you going to remain focused? Are you going to be about my agenda or your agenda? What are you going to do? Because I'll get your people there. I'll get your remnant there. Do you want to lead them? All right, stay close to me. We can do this. But rebels and sinners, those who continue to rebel, disobey, and selfishly follow their own way, they will be broken together. Those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed totally. They shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired and you shall blush for the gardens you have chosen for you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers in the garden without water and the strong shall become like tinder and his work a spark and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them here's what it means israel in your arrogance you grab the canaanite fertility god rituals that were worshiped through nature and trees and in gardens and wells and spots like that you trust in them, do you? 
you would literally go gather a god from another nation, bring it into my land, trust in that, and think it's going to protect you from me? You know how embarrassed you're going to be when I burn up your trees, when I shut down your gardens? They didn't protect you. Look how powerless they are. That's your protector? You got nothing. All right, so how to make it practical to us? What are we trusting in? What are we running after that is so awesome that we don't have time for God? What's going on in our lives that is so valuable? Is it money? We're so convinced that money is going to solve our problems that we need to set God aside so we can run and get as much as we can. Is that going to make you feel secure? Is it stuff? Is it attention? Are you ever going to get enough attention? Or are you going to find out that you're incredibly insatiable? No matter how much you get, you'll always nitpick it and need more. What do you want? You're going to push God away for a relationship because if you can finally get that guy, he's going to fill you up. How embarrassing it will be when six years later we're having the conversation that he was not everything you dreamed he would be. What are we trading God for? Israel traded him for a whole bunch of stuff. I want to be part of the generation and part of the remnant that says, yes, God. And I want every single one of us there. So he will bring about transformation. He will bring about purification. Just because God doesn't destroy us in his grace doesn't mean that he's pleased with how we are living. We must make responsible and mature decisions and anticipate what he wants and make those changes. Let's close in prayer and I'll do a final challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, it is heavy upon us, the challenge of changing. Lord, there are so many things that you are joyful about with your kids. There's so many things that you look at us and you smile. And Lord, there's also parts of us that are so rebellious and wicked. There are many of us, Lord, that are playing games and we don't take you seriously. There are so many of us that have traded you for garbage and we want to say we're sorry. Quicken our spirits. Let us see you rightly, that we may worship you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, here's the closing challenge. Throw it up on the screen. I want you to seek God's face in prayer and consider what he might say. Write, don't think, write a list of top 10 things that you need to change in order to live a life fully sold out for Christ. Amen?